Let's just come and pray. Father, we just want to thank you for the opportunity that we have in our offering to express just our our gratitude to you for the many ways in which you bless us in our life. Father, as we come now to, to hear from your word, we want to bless you again that you give us your word and you open our hearts to receive it by faith. And you give us, as we trust you and know you and love you, you give us your Holy Spirit to interpret the word and then to apply it into our lives. Father, may we, by our faith, by our obedience, by our submission to you, may we be in the place today where your word can do its work in us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just begin this morning by making it clear that the the subject that we're looking at here is one of the real physical, emotional and, and spiritual battlegrounds, I would say, of modern life. And as I was preparing what I'm going to share with you, I came across a truth while listening to an old sermon that struck me so forcefully. And it's a truth that's relevant to this commandment, that's relevant to the Ten Commandments, and that's relevant, I believe, to so much else in the Christian life. It's a truth that's relevant to all of us, but I would say to young people especially. Get a hold of this. Make this part of your life now, and you'll save yourself so much potential heartache in life. You'll avoid so many wrong choices and bad decisions. So what is this truth? It's about the need that we have in the context of a society today that is aggressively hostile to Christian faith and to its standards, the need we have to make a fundamental commitment to resolve, to resolve in our minds and hearts that we are going to live our life by God's standards. It's simple, isn't it? So simple. But is it so simple that we stop saying it? Or is it that we just don't say it often enough or loud enough with enough conviction for people to really hear it and grasp its importance? But get that clear in your mind. Make that one of the fundamental building blocks of your life. Resolve not to live in that kind of misty in-between world where so many Christians seem to live, where it's a bit of what God wants. Yes, okay, but too often mixed in 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 an unthinking kind of way because we just so much go along with the flow, mixed in with what the world around us dictates and with what suits us, what we want to hear, what we want to do, what we want to be. But don't live like this. Rather, commit yourself, determine, resolve to live your life in every part God's way. By his standards. For after all, you know, God, God made you. God loves you. It's God who knows what's best for you. And it's God who wants to lead you into that best. But where do we find God's standards? How do we find God's standards? Well, we find this in God's word. And we find this by prayer. 
For I tell you, as as we go through our life and, and face, as we all will, challenging situations and difficult decisions, then if you seek God in the midst of this, in his word and by prayer, then God will show you. He will show you his way. Listen to what Psalm 119 verse 9 says. How can a young man or a young woman keep their way pure? How can they? By living according to your word. Let's look then at how this works out in regard to the commandment we're looking at today. The seventh commandment. Exodus twenty fourteen. You shall not commit adultery. Now, this commandment, of course, relates to our human sexuality. And this is something that at different periods in history, the churches had great problems with. For instance, in the medieval period, it was felt that that being celibate, being single, was in some way the, the spiritually superior state. And that's why at that time there was explosive growth in the number of monasteries and nunneries around Europe. Whereas now, in our churches, in many of our churches, coming from a tradition such as our own, well, there at times seems to be hints of a suggestion that marriage is actually the superior state. For instance, while I was training for the ministry at Spurgeon's, it was well known then that that single men, despite whatever other qualities they may have, would always find it very difficult to get a call to their first church. But look at this. Let's look first at, at what does the Bible actually say here? What does it say? Well, you see, the Bible makes it very clear that our human sexuality is a good gift from God. But only, only if it's used, only if it's expressed within its God-given boundaries. That is within the marriage relationship. Now, I want to say, I know that many people have problems with these kind of boundaries. Many people have problems with the things that God seems to say no to. And so, thinking that God is some kind of heavenly killjoy or even that all of this is just some kind of invention by the older generation by earlier generations to stop them enjoying themselves so they kick over these boundaries and they decide that they're just going to go go for it and it all brings to mind for me a story that that was once in the tv news and in the newspapers i don't know if i've quite got all the details right because it was a while ago but this is it that, that some young men were out for a night uh, in the, along the, the south of England, the south coast of England, and they decided to go for a drive. And they come up to a, a no-entry sign, a sign that, that says basically, don't go there, don't go any further. But being met young men, you know, full of bravado and no doubt a few uh, liquid in, infills, they, they decided, you know, no one's going to stop me. No one's going to tell me where I can't go. So they just kept on. They kept on driving and went right over the cliffs at Beachy Head. And miraculously, none of them was killed. None of them was actually seriously injured. But you see, though, do you get it? That sign wasn't there to stop these young men enjoying themselves. It was there to keep them out of danger. And so it is. That's exactly the way it is with all of God's commandments, including this commandment that relates to sexuality. 
God gives commands not to stop us from enjoying ourselves, but to keep us from danger. For you see, sex is a good gift of God if it's kept within its God-given context. It's like water or fire and so many other things. Use these things as they're supposed to be used and then they're life-giving, then they're life-enhancing gifts of God. But use them inappropriately and you'll drown. You'll get burned. Use them inappropriately and they'll destroy you. Now you might be sitting there puzzling though, how you know, can something like this, how can something that's, that's natural, if it's used naturally, how can it be dangerous? Well, in this sense, God's intention is that our human sexuality should be expressed in the context of a committed, lifelong marriage relationship. The, the physical part of marriage is supposed to be the celebration. It's supposed to be the culmination of the coming together of two people at every significant level in life. Spiritually, emotionally, and then physically. That's what it means in Genesis 2.24 where the Lord there laying down, if you like, the, the baseline teaching for marriage says... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become then one flesh. That is one person united now at every significant level in life. You see, that's what marriage is supposed to be. And the sexual act itself is supposed to be like a, a kind of landmark in a relationship. That this is how far we've come in our relationship. This is how together and united we want to be. And now we commit ourselves, we seek to move on and to grow ever more and more into unity, into oneness. But you see, when the the sexual dimension is misunderstood and misused and abused. When it's taken out of the context of a committed, lifelong union of two people at every area of life. When it's made, if you like, the big thing just in and of itself, separate from everything else. Well, that then brings problems. That has profound consequences. Take, for instance, before we even begin to to think of adultery. Take the kind of casual approach to sex that's very much part of life today. You know, there are now so-called Christian teachers who attempt to teach that, that premarital and extramarital sex isn't a sin. They can't get that from the Bible. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 6, tells us to the contrary, he tells us that there's no such thing as casual sex. No such thing. Verse 16 he says, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now you see what that's inferring, and it's also clearly inferred elsewhere in the Bible, that where there is a physical union, there's also abundant in some way at the various other levels of our humanity. Putting it simply, people who treat sex casually suffer not only potentially 
physical consequences, but suffer also emotionally and spiritually. Because, you see, those who use other people are coarsened and hardened by that. And those who are used are hurt and damaged. Nobody emerges unscathed. Everybody suffers. And when this is then carried over into marriage, well then, you see, things just get worse. For those who are used to treating their sexuality and other people in this kind of casual way seem to then find it tremendously difficult once they enter into what should be a committed marriage relationship to actually stay faithful. You see, the habits that they've formed, the mindset that's become their mindset in the way that they think of and treat other people, that's something that can be tremendously difficult to break. So people then, because of this, are unfaithful. They commit adultery. And what this is, is a fundamental betrayal of trust in what is supposed to be the most committed, intimate relationship possible between a man and a woman. And once that trust has gone, then while it's far from impossible by God's grace, yet it is also incredibly difficult to rebuild a relationship. And so marriages and families fall apart and people, and particularly children, are hurt. And as the family suffers, so society suffers. Society begins to fall apart at the seams for the family is the glue that holds society together. And you see, that's why Jesus taught so strongly against adultery in the Sermon on the Mount. You see, he set up extra barriers in order to, in a way, keep adultery, even as the, a possibility as far away as he possibly could, as we possibly can. Matthew five twenty-eight: Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. And we need to follow that teaching through in our lives, practically, in whatever way we can. And it's not easy in the society we live in today. But we need to stay as far away as we can from possible temptation, rather than, as too often is the case, playing around at the edges of temptation. For remember, remember, when we take what is a God-given gift of God out of its God-given context, and when we abuse it and misuse it, when we ignore the warnings that God gives and just instead live life our way, remember that then our lives, our families and our society falls apart. Now, in looking at what the Bible says here, I think I've ranged fairly widely across the topic of human sexuality, but let me just say a few words about something that, that can often be ignored here, and that is singleness. For you see, single people today often seem to feel that their life, in, in some kind of sense, is, is incomplete. And also, they feel that they're treated as second-class citizens by the church and in the church. What I want to say here is that a life that is lived truly centered on the Lord, that life will be a fulfilled life and will be a complete, complete life, single or not. Now, that's not to say that there won't be 
areas of tension and times of trial that are related to this. But I want to be honest, we all suffer these in one area or another. They all, we all do. So if you think being married will in some sense make all your troubles and difficulties disappear, then I want to say you urgently need to talk to a married person. <laughs> and as for the church treating single people as second-class citizens, what I want to say, if that is the case, and sometimes I believe it is the case, then we need to repent and sort that out. Because, you see, what the Bible actually teaches is that being unmarried can actually give us greater liberty to serve the Lord. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 34 says, he said, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. And I like how he goes on here. How he can please his wife and his interests are divided. Okay. Well, we've looked at what the the Bible says. Let's move on to look now at what the world says. The fantasy. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking at this. But what I just want to alert you to is the tremendous bias there is against the kind of teaching I've just outlined to you from the Bible in our world today. And so because of that, the enormous pressure that Christians, and particularly young Christians today, live under. For example, in music. See, lyrics to songs grow ever more and more sexually explicit. I'm not the best one for listening to lyrics. I'll even tell you, I just sing anything. You know what I mean? I just don't get words. But anyway, but they are. With the, the blatant message, though, being that unless you're living a life of continuous, casual sexual activity, that you're not really actually living life. Now, to the adults, and particularly parents here, I would say, listen now and again to what your children are listening to. And if neither they or you can stand doing that, then check out the lyrics that they're listening to. Do it online. They're all there. Check it up. Make sure that you know what you're allowing in your home and what you're allowing, really, into your children's minds. Check it up. And to the young people who are here today, a lot of them have left, but to those who are here, I would say to you, just look at the lives of many of the so-called sports idols and pop idols of today, many of their personal lives are a disaster area. The majority of their relationships and their families are a shambles. I want to say young people, are you going to let the latest media star or the latest sports star, are you going to let the world out there, the media, etc., are you going to let them set the direction, set the tone for the way you're going to live your life. Who's going to give you the guidance that you need in life? The latest big thing in the media or the living God who made you and loves you? And then there there are magazines. I would say, parents, take an interest and take care regarding the the magazines that, that young people read today. Some of those magazines for younger children 
contain material and give advice that I think is at times totally inappropriate and actually from a legal, never mind from a Christian standpoint. And then there are the proliferation of other magazines that are around today for for young men and, and young women. There are some masquerading at times as semi-respectable, accepted maybe as that, that are actually crude and nasty, to say the very least. I remember a number of years ago now, travelling down to Nottingham by train. And there was a very nice, respectable young lady sitting opposite me. And we had a friendly little conversation. Elaine always says, it's always funny how you always talk to the young ladies, not so much to the older, but that's a different thing. I just like to cheer them up. But she was reading a magazine. She eventually started reading a magazine. I'm sure I was probably boring her to death. But I think the magazine, I looked, I think it was Cosmopolitan or something like that. And I'd look over the front cover, you know, as you do, kind of reading somebody else's stuff. I was actually, I was close to blushing for the young woman. That somebody like her, she was such a lovely girl, could read something like this in public. I thought she'd at least have covered it with the people's friend or something like that. <laughs> now I could go I could go on and on here. The soaps, a lot of the TV aimed at teenagers, etc. Again, the subtle and often not so subtle messages that to be involved in casual sex, that that's the norm and that faithfulness and purity before marriage, faithfulness within and purity before Well, they're just old hat. That's what we're told. They're boring, irrelevant to life today. Here, though, is a statistic I found that I think is actually amazing. And that is that for all TV, not just for youth programming, 91% of sexual activity that's portrayed or suggested on television is sex outside of marriage. It's either casual, premarital sex or extramarital sex. I want to say to you, that is not reflecting reality. No, that is an agenda. That actually is akin to brainwashing. What we have here is a media who it would seem are committed to attacking and undermining the biblical and traditional view of sex being expressed within the context of marriage. Of marriage being about faithfulness and commitment and about keeping what actually are the solemn promises you've given. Now you see, all of us are facing this attack. But it is especially difficult for young people as they develop and mature. The whole pressure is on them to accept casual sexual relationships as a way of life. And as we've seen, if they do, that spells disaster. Disaster for them now, if they succumb succumb to it with the potential for things to get even worse later, if they do go on to get married. Unless that confused thinking is straightened out. So how we need to pray for our young people. How we need to encourage them. How we need to seek to guide them. How we need to teach them and above all to show them that there is a different And a better way. Let me just finish this section here by sharing with you something that I think illustrates better than anything I could go on to say about just where the world and where our society has got us to in this whole area. Just where the fantasy has actually taken us. That is, some time ago, Job Search 
a government magazine that's, that's available in 60 job centres around the country. Job search gave space in that magazine to a job opportunity that was not previously mentioned in its pages. In between adverts for clerical workers and cleaners, the unemployed were offered a substantial income working from home as prostitutes. Ian McCartney, then the opposition employment spokesman, issued a public complaint. This is what he said. This magazine invites vulnerable men and women who are unemployed to take up prostitution as a business opportunity instead of proper employment and training opportunities. What was most incredible, though, was the response to this by Mike Fogden, who was then the chief executive of the employment service, a very senior man. This is what he said. He said, it is not for the employment service to censor publications or deny job seekers access to the widest range of job opportunities. I'm happy to say that in this instance, sanity prevailed. The chief executive was overruled. This magazine was withdrawn. But you see, this is what we've been brought to by what the world says, by the drip, drip propaganda of what's fed into us in this whole area of sexuality and marriage and faithfulness. This is how crazy it's all got. Well, let's finally look at the situation as it is, the reality. The situation is, I don't think that you need to be bombarded again by negative statistics. You don't need that to be convinced of the fact that as our society has believed the lie, as we have rejected God's guidelines for marriage and sexuality, well, so we have walked straight through the danger sign into heartbreak and disaster. Casual sex and adultery have in the last 60 years become more and more common. Yes, they have, but so at the same time has divorce. We are now the divorce capital of Europe. And so have broken families, so have hurting and sometimes underachieving, even delinquent children. But here's the good news, though. The tide, I believe, is beginning to turn. The tide is beginning to turn. More and more people are coming to see the bankruptcy of the so-called permissive society. If remember that statistic that I gave earlier, the 91% of sex portrayed on TV and film is sex outside of marriage. Well then, compare this. In a recent survey in Britain, 89% of the people interviewed said that they have remained faithful in the past year. And in 1995, in a national magazine in, uh, survey in Denmark, as morally ambiguous a society as you could possibly imagine, well, 97% of the people who responded to that survey said that monogamy, faithfulness to one partner, was natural and moral. Do you see then just how distorted a picture TV presents in this area? So often you hear TV company representatives saying, oh, we don't fashion society, we don't form it. 
No, we just actually reflect it as it is. Oh, I want to say that in this instance, the facts prove that to be absolute nonsense. It's nonsense. But here's something that I think is even more revealing. The United States went into the permissive society before us and have usually been seen to be setting the trends in this area. Not a very good thing. Well, there have been two really, two recent, sorry, reputable uh, national surveys done in the, the States. And one asked the question, do you believe that adultery is always wrong? Do you know what group, what age group, gave the highest percentage of yeses to that question? Those in their 20s. 74% said that yes, adultery is always wrong. And then away from the theoretical, another survey, this time looking at real life experience, sought to determine which age groups would be most and least likely to commit adultery. There was a five to one ratio. Here it is. Those aged between 44 to 63 are five times more likely to be adulterous than those aged between 32, 22, sorry, and 33. And do you see what's happening here? What's happening is that the people, the young adults who have been the victims of the permissive society, these are the children who've lived through their parents' experiments of casual sex and marital unfaithfulness. And what these young people are saying is, we don't want it. It hurt us. And we know it doesn't work. Friends, a change in attitudes is beginning to come. And I think it's beginning to come here to our country. And what we've got to ask is are we going to be an example? Are we going to show our young people, not just in this church, but in the community around, that there is another and a better way? Are we going to fill the moral vacuum as we should? And are we going to teach them that better way? Now I pray that as a church we will do this and that we'll learn from the mistakes of our, of our recent past, our failings of the recent past. And here's a, just an instance, an example of this. George Carey, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, just after the news of Charles and Diana's adultery and divorce had broken, he was due to give a speech to the House of Lords, already arranged, calling the nation back to obedience to the Ten Commandments. But just prior to this speech, he was interviewed on radio by John Humphreys. And he was put on the spot by John Humphreys and asked in the context of the royal divorce if he should not be a little bit more forthright and say that adultery is wrong. His reply was memorably evasive. I don't want to go into that. Over the next few days, and rightly so, he was accused by the press of a cowardly avoidance of a direct question so that he might not cause offence to the establishment. You see, 
Here, a significant Christian leader in this country had an opportunity to take a spiritual and moral lead and give that to the nation. But he refused to take it. But you see, his problem here is often reflected in the wider church, is often a problem of, our, of the wider church. You see, we're so busy trying to say what we think the world wants us to say. We're so busy trying to fit in, be accommodating, twist and squeeze biblical morality, cut it down so that we can make it just about fitting with what's going around us. We're so busy in the church trying to do this, doing what we think will make us fashionable and popular and accepted. We're doing that. But we're no longer saying anything distinctive. We're no longer being different. We're not standing for what we're supposed to believe, what we claim to believe, what we should believe. But you see, the world doesn't respect us for this. The world isn't attracted by this. But the world mocks us. The world laughs at us for our hypocrisy. And rightly so. And the world turns even further away from us, but far more importantly, from God. I say, let's instead today be what we were called to be. Let's be different. Let's be distinctive. Let's believe the truth. Let's speak the truth. But even more, let's live the truth. Let's live it out in a life of grace in a life of the kind of positive holiness that really will draw people to Jesus. Let's come to God now in prayer. Father, we just want to thank you again that you are a great God, that you're the God who made us and who knows us. And you are the God who gives us the guidance, the teaching, who leads us in the right way that will mean that we can know life and enjoy it and live it to the very full. Lord, help us to follow you. Help us to be obedient to you. This we pray now. In Jesus' name. Amen.